Hello again. Here for the happiness class are a few excerpts from chapter 5 of Daniel Hebron's Happiness, a very short introduction, The Sources of Happiness, which begins with a Jewish joke, breathe in, breathe out, breathe in, breathe out. Forget this, and attaining enlightenment will be the least of your problems. He points out that there's no simple general answer to the question, how important is money for happiness, or really how important is anything in particular for happiness. It just depends. Perhaps you've heard that at least 50% of happiness is genetic, the product of your innate set point level of happiness. He says he won't say much about that in this book because there's nothing we can do about it, nothing we should do about it, and in any event, it's obvious that plenty of things can affect how happy we are, like a good job or a bad job. He gives us an acronym for the sources of happiness, SOARS, for security, outlook, autonomy, relationships, skilled and meaningful activity. He mentions the uh, old Greek Epicurus and his followers, as well as the Stoics and the Buddhists as representing the view that simplicity, living simply, uh, spurning luxuries, is a key to happiness. He quotes Robert Kinney. Sometimes I think that the only people in this country who worry more about money than the poor are the very wealthy. They worry about losing it. They worry about how it's invested. They worry about the effect it's going to have. And as the zeros increase, the dilemmas get bigger. He says one feature of the modern consumer economy aims precisely at making people feel less secure. The point of much advertising is to sow dissatisfaction, making people want what they didn't want before. The second major form of security is social, feeling secure in your relationships and standing in the community. A third is project security, feeling secure in the prospects for success in one's major projects. Because you identify with your projects, your self-esteem depends on how you do in them. The least obvious form of security is time security, feeling that you have sufficient time to do what you need to do. The lack of it, for the most part, is what we call being stressed. Security is good for happiness, but more is not always better. Too much security can make us complacent, lazy, soft, and weak, stunting personal development. A coddled, risk-free childhood can be a recipe for an unhappy adult. Result, boomerang and fail-to-launch kids. He says, parents worry that there's, their child will be one of the 51 children who, in the course of a year in a nation of 300 million people, will be abducted and possibly murdered. Well, that's 51 times too many, but also roughly the same number as killed by bees, wasps, and hornets, a risk of approximately zero. We worry too much about the worst-case scenarios. Is happiness a choice? He says it is not. It's like telling a cancer victim it must be her fault she's dying because people with a good attitude stay healthy. And check uh, Barbara Ehrenreich's book, uh, Bright Sighted, for a very different view on that. Um, the true sage, according to the Stoics, would remain unperturbed no matter what happens, like Socrates. Buddhists go for that same level of imperturbability. But there are enough unhappy Buddhists in the world to make clear how non-trivial the task of honing the skill, of cultivating the skill of happiness can be over many years. More mention of Matthew Ricard, the world's happiest man. Um, I think that should always be in, in quotes. 
Uh, talk of acceptance, accepting things as they are and not demanding that they fit your agenda. He speaks of volunteer and charity work as generating levels of joy comp- compared uh, only with <laughs> comparable only to the joy some people report from dancing. Yeah. Uh, he says, Epicurus claimed pleasure is our sole end in life and yet firmly counseled being just and otherwise virtuous. It's essential for peace of mind. Those with less materialistic values tend to be significantly happier. Uh, studies show that people driven primarily by external rewards like wealth or status tend to be less happy than those who see their pursuits as intrinsically worthwhile, doing them for their own sake, for their intrinsic motivation. He tells an interesting anecdote about being upbraided by a homeless man on the street who interrupted he and his wife bickering about where to go for dinner He said, what's wrong with you? You have a beautiful family. Look at all you have. You should be happy. And, uh, well, we all should be, most of the time, happier. Freedom, autonomy, worries about wage slavery, option freedom, the idea that having so many options can actually and paradoxically be a source of unhappiness, Uh, the idea that your car is your freedom, a, a phenomenon we're already familiar with, in the West, but that has recently come to places like China. And uh, the notion that uh, one reason for the rising divorce rate is almost certainly rising discontent owing to a greater perception of viable alternatives. If you're stranded on a desert island with one other person, you'll be more motivated to figure out how to get along. It says, your life is not entirely your own. It is intertwined with the lives of others. Being in charge of your daily routines may matter more for happiness than the big-ticket items, simply because they are always before you, always foreground. Even in areas where you lack complete control, you can be autonomous in the sense that you act for reasons you endorse. You don't feel coerced by your parents, for instance. And um, children in industrialized nations today spend the bulk of their weekdays in institutional settings among hired caregivers whose affection distributed among 10, 20 or more children is largely contingent. We could be sowing the seeds for the next generation's unhappiness with these uh, institutional arrangements that are convenient for our work, but maybe not in the best interests of our children. Nature and other sources of happiness um, are often overlooked and underrated. Immersion in natural environments is both calming and revitalizing and significantly improves attention. If we were born, it is as if we were born in the Louvre, but choose to stay in the broom closet when we're uh, deliberately, um, when we deliberately shun the uh, natural environments close to hand on the other side of the door. We can decide to some extent how important to make money for happiness to some extent, like uh, James Martin did, who gave up a lucrative but grueling career at GE, took a vow of poverty, became a much happier Jesuit priest. In the United States, happiness and income show a pretty substantial link until about $75,000 household income. Um, income and life satisfaction seem more strongly related. Of course, we often conflate life satisfaction with happiness, something we talked about last time. Conclusion. 
The findings we've been discussing have a couple of interesting upshots. First, happiness doesn't require a whole lot. Human needs are pretty simple and commonsensical, and we might do well not to get too fancy in the pursuit of happiness. Stick to the basics and you can do pretty well. Second, the pursuit of happiness can't be just an individual matter. The context in which you live is also a large part of the story. Your relationships depend a lot on where and with whom you live, as do your opportunities for meaningful and engaging work. Your ability to live as you choose, your sense of security and ability to relax and enjoy life, and even your outlook. Yes, you have a lot of choice over these things, but they also aren't totally up to you. To a great extent, they are things we have to pursue together by building better communities and a better society. Talk to you later.